Hi, this is Michael Novogratik, and it's Tax Credit Tuesday. Tax Credit Tuesday is a weekly podcast that brings our listeners the latest developments in the affordable housing, community development, and renewable energy industries. Tax Credit Tuesday is presented each week by Novogratik Company, LLP, a national accounting, consulting, and valuation firm. You can learn more about our audit, tax, and valuation services online at www.novoco.com or call us at 415-356-8000. Today is Tuesday, December 16, 2008. This week, we have two major topics. For our first topics, we will review some of the revenue-raising strategies, yes, I do mean tax increases, that Congress will consider in the coming year. We're also going to evaluate how these possible tax increases will affect tax credit investors. For our second topic, we will discuss the testimony that I and others provided at an IRS hearing last Friday on proposed changes to the new market tax credit regulations. But first, we have breaking news about President-elect Barack Obama's pick for HUD Secretary. In his weekly address on Saturday, President-elect Obama announced that he plans to nominate Sean Donovan to be Secretary of the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Mr. Donovan is currently Commissioner of Housing Preservation and Development in New York City. Mr. Donovan is 42 years old and was appointed Commissioner in March 2004 by Mayor Michael Bloomberg. In that position, Mr. Donovan has been responsible for overseeing HPD's $7.5 billion new housing marketplace plan to build and preserve 165,000 units of affordable housing. As of September of this year, more than 82,500 units have been funded under the plan. Before joining the Bloomberg administration, Mr. Donovan worked at Prudential Mortgage Capital Company as managing director of its FHA lending and affordable housing investments. Prior to Prudential, Mr. Donovan was a visiting scholar at New York University where he researched and wrote about the preservation of federally assisted housing. He was also a consultant to the Millennial Housing Commission on strategies for increasing the production of multifamily housing. Until March of 2001, Mr. Donovan was Deputy Assistant Secretary for Multifamily Housing at HUD. While there, he ran housing subsidy programs that provided more than $9 billion annually to 1.7 million families. And he oversaw a portfolio of 30,000 multifamily properties with over 2 million housing units. He also served as acting FHA commissioner during the presidential transition. Before joining HUD, Mr. Donovan worked at the Community Preservation Corporation in New York City, a not-for-profit lender and developer of affordable housing. He also researched and wrote about housing policy at the Joint Center for Housing Studies at Harvard University and worked as an architect in New York and Italy. The nomination of Mr. Donovan as head secretary has received praise from all facets of the housing industry. Realtors, nonprofits, trade organizations, bankers, and more have praised the announcement. For instance, Michael Bodekin, president of the National Housing Trust, released a statement on December 13th saying, quote, Sean Donovan is simply the right person for the job. President-elect Obama could not have chosen a more capable leader to give hope to those in need and reinvigorate our nation's cities and distressed neighborhoods. Sean has the right experience, judgment, and leadership ability to restore a vision to HUD that recognizes the critical role that affordable housing plays in the well-being of millions of working families. We also have important news to share about the House Ways and Means Committee, as well as the ongoing development of a new economic stimulus package, a package which, by the way, is now being referred to as an economic recovery package. Last week, the House Republican Steering Committee nominated Congressman Dave Camp of Michigan to serve as the ranking Republican member of the Ways and Means Committee for the 111th Congress. Meanwhile, 
Democratic House leadership agreed on a new ratio for the Tax Writing Committee. In the prior 110th Congress, there were 24 Democrats and 17 Republicans on the committee, a margin of seven members of the House. In the next Congress, there will be 26 Democrats and 15 Republicans on the committee, a margin of 11. This is two more Democrats and two fewer Republicans than the prior Congress. The House Democratic Steering and Policy Committee also nominated five new Democratic members to serve on the House Ways and Means Committee. They are Democratic Congressman Danny Davis of Illinois, Bob Etheridge of North Carolina, John Yarmouth of Kentucky, Brian Higgins of New York, and Raul Grilvioth of Arizona. It is rumored that Congressman Javier Pacera of California is under consideration for the position of the United States Trade Representative in the forthcoming Obama administration. If he is offered and accepts the position, an additional Democratic seat on the panel would become available. The House Ways and Means Committee and Senate Finance Committee will play a key role in the coming months as Congress considers a number of important tax matters, including designing income tax provisions to be included in the upcoming economic recovery legislation. These upcoming provisions are likely to include investor enhancements to the low-income housing tax credit and renewable energy tax credits. Mr. John Buckley, chief counsel to the Ways and Means Committee Democrats, spoke at a tax reform conference presented by the Brookings Institution on December 5th. Dow Jones reported that in his remarks, Mr. Buckley said that the Treasury Department's response to the financial crisis has adversely affected the already struggling tax credit investment market even further. Specifically, Mr. Buckley mentioned that the decision by the IRS to waive net operating loss limitations that otherwise would have limited the ability of banks to use the existing net operating losses of banks they acquire has adversely affected low-income housing tax credit investments. Under the new rule, many of the large banks that are some of the primary investors in energy and housing tax credits will be able to reduce their tax liability in future years and will have less use for the tax credits. Mr. Buckley said that the ruling, quote, did more damage to renewable energy and local housing programs than anything else, end quote. Mr. Buckley noted that solar and wind energy groups are asking Congress to include changes to renewable energy tax credits in the forthcoming stimulus package, including making the tax credits refundable. Mr. Buckley predicted that the stimulus package would be dominated by spending measures, and he downplayed the extent to which tax provisions would be included. However, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Max Baucus, on the other hand, told reporters on December 10th that as much as half of the expected economic stimulus package, or economic recovery package, could be in the form of tax cuts or other tax incentives. Supporters of affordable housing, community development, and renewable energy have continued working to advance tax credit provisions for possible inclusion in the economic recovery package. Last week, the New Market Tax Credit Coalition circulated a letter from Congressman Richie Neal of Massachusetts indicating his support for additional NMTC volume in order to stimulate the economy and alleviate the credit crunch. Mr. Neal's letter was addressed to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Minority Leader John Boehner, and it calls for an additional $1.5 billion in NMTC credit authority for qualified applications submitted in the 2008 New Market Tax Credit application round. The letter argues that by increasing allocations for 2008, this allows the Treasury Department to allocate tax credits to qualified applications on hand, thereby providing immediate additional economic stimulus, which will aid in economic recovery. As we mentioned earlier, 
Other tax credits being supported by industry advocates include making renewable energy tax credits refundable and extending the tax credit for wind energy for five years. On the housing front, numerous proposals are being discussed. These proposals include temporarily reducing the credit period from 10 years to 5, which would allow 10 years worth of credits to be claimed over 5 years. Also, they're considering making the credit refundable to widely held corporations, permitting the carryback of the housing credit for as many as 5 years and allowing those carried back credits to offset the alternative minimum tax, making the tax credit percentage for taxes and bond transactions a floor of 4% instead of the floating rate that is right now a lot less than 4%, and allowing housing credit allocating agencies an additional year to make housing credit allocations before having to return unused housing credits to the national pool. Even though the new legislation won't be enacted until the 111th Congress convenes next month, the wheels are in motion, and there's a goal to get a bill to President-elect Obama by January 20th. The Obama transition team did spend last week meeting with numerous industry representatives in an effort to develop some concrete recommendations for an economic recovery plan. As such, now is the time to contact your representatives and express your support for these important development tools. You should also note that federal support for low-income housing tax credits is particularly crucial now as state fiscal challenges grow. For example, the Columbia Tribune reported that last Friday, Missouri Governor-elect Jay Nixon's representative on the State Housing Commission tried, fortunately unsuccessfully, to delay the issuance of $117 million in state low-income housing tax credits. Governor-elect Nixon's representative cited the Missouri government's budget crisis as a reason to wait. The commission voted to proceed with issuing the credits after the Missouri Housing Development Commission's executive director said the jobs created by the resulting affordable housing construction would help stimulate the economy. The Tribune reports that an assistant attorney general from Nixon's office asked the agency to wait on issuing the credits until their impact on the state's budget could be better determined. He said it might not be fiscally prudent to issue the credits because state income was expected to drop by $340 million during the current fiscal year and by as much as a billion dollars next year. Missouri Housing Development Commission's Executive Director Pete Ramsell advised the commission against approving the motion. State Treasurer Sarah Steelman's representative on the board did vote with Governor-elect Nixon's representative to support a delay. But fortunately, the rest of the commission voted to issue the credits last Friday. According to the Tribune, after the vote, the roomful of developers at the meeting applauded. We will continue to follow the situation in Missouri and report on related developments in future podcasts. The National Association of State Budget Officers reports that state fiscal conditions slowed for most states in fiscal year 2008 and have continued to deteriorate in fiscal year 2009. So we will also monitor the situation in other states as they contend with similar budget issues. These topics are a good introduction to our first planned topic for today's discussion, revenue raisers that may be considered to offset the cost of legislation in the coming year. Several lawmakers have already spoken out about a number of issues they plan to tackle after Congress convenes next month. Many of these plans will require revenue offsets, or tax increases. Several revenue-raising strategies that have been proposed before are expected to resurface in the next year or two, including carried interest legislation and economic substance legislation. During the efforts to enact the alternative minimum tax relief legislation last year, some members of Congress suggested paying for AMT relief with a higher tax rate on carried interests. 
Carried interests are general partner or other subordinated interests that investment sponsors receive from their investors as incentives to perform well. Supporters of carried interest legislation say that income or gain received from a carried interest should be taxed at ordinary income tax rates, not capital gain tax rates. Supporters of such legislation say it addresses the tax rate inequity applied to the extreme profits being realized by private equity and hedge fund managers. But the real estate industry is widely concerned about the impact this policy could have on limited partnerships and limited liability companies investing in real estate. The National Association of Home Builders and a coalition of other real estate groups have been working to educate lawmakers about the negative impact such a change in the tax law could have on the real estate sector. NAHB says that the carried interest proposal would result in higher prices for multifamily housing, fewer jobs, and less community development, especially in underserved areas. In light of the numerous challenges facing the real estate industry in today's financial climate, this is a clear point of concern for the housing sector. Another troubling potential revenue offset proposal is related to the economic substance doctrine. On November 21st, Internal Revenue Service Chief Counsel Donald Korb said that he remains concerned that the economic substance doctrine will be codified during the next administration, a move that he does oppose. Codification proposals have been considered by Congress for a number of years. Supporters of codifying the economic substance doctrine say their goal is to curtail the use of abusive tax shelters that have no economic substance or business purpose other than reducing the federal tax liability of the taxpayer. There is some concern among investors and potential investors in tax credits, such as the LIHTC and MTC and renewable energy credits, that legislation crafted to curtail transactions that are simply motivated by tax incentives would apply to and have a negative impact on these programs. As far back as 2004, this concern has been on the horizon. Some lawmakers have expressed their belief that if codified, the economic substance doctrine would not have a negative impact on the NMTC, LHDC, or similar tax credit programs. In a colloquy on the Senate floor on May 11, 2004, Senator Bacchus noted a footnote in a committee report that specifically identifies the local housing tax credit and the historic rehabilitation tax credit as examples of tax benefits that Congress endorses and whose viability should not be jeopardized by the economic substance doctrine. But despite such statements, supporters of these programs are keeping a close eye on any proposals to codify the economic substance doctrine. The Affordable Tax Credit Coalition lists among its legislative priorities ensuring that if economic substance legislation is enacted, that the LIHTC is not adversely affected. We will continue to track any proposals related to these revenue-raising strategies or other proposals that may affect the interests of the tax credit community, and we'll keep you updated in future podcasts. In the meantime, if you have any questions about how these proposals might relate to your plans for the future, please send us an email at cpas at novacode.com. Finally, let's wrap up today's discussion with a review of last week's IRS hearing on the proposed new market tax credit regulations. On Friday... I had the honor of testifying at an IRS hearing on behalf of the New Market Tax Credit Working Group. The IRS issued proposed NMTC regulations on August 11th and solicited comments from the public. The NMTC Working Group had a series of conference calls and meetings, and the results of that was a written letter that we submitted. And that letter can be found on our website at www.newmarketscredits.com. We've also posted an outline of my remarks for the hearing as well as the other comment letters that were submitted. I commented on numerous points 
including suggested changes to the redemption safe harbor language. The original regulations provide a safe harbor for a CDE partnership that limits its cash distributions to no more than a CDE's operating income for a given taxable year. The NMTC Working Group had previously submitted comment letters requesting that language be changed to also allow undistributed operating income from previous years. Otherwise, a CDE would be required to make a determination of how much operating income could be distributed during a given taxable year because the original regulations did not allow for distribution of a prior year's operating income. Many CDEs made conservative estimates of operating income and did not distribute all their operating income during a given taxable year. The proposed regulations tried to address this concern by allowing CDEs to make a cash distribution of current taxable year's operating income as well as any undistributed operating income from the prior year. This was a welcome change, however it also creates additional concerns. For example, the proposed regulations allow only the prior taxable year, not all prior taxable years, to be used in determining undistributed operating income. Also, the NMTC Working Group was concerned about how a CDE would determine undistributed operating income from a prior year on a year-by-year-by-year basis. In my comments on the distribution of operating income, I noted and restated the NMTC Working Group's position that a CDE should be able to distribute their operating income from the current year and cumulative operating income from prior years. Another notable change was made to the definition of operating income. Currently, operating income is defined as the CDE's taxable income with certain addbacks, such as depreciation and amortization. The change in the proposed regulations includes tax exempt income under Section 103 as an addback. The NMC's working group made this suggestion, as well as others, in previously submitted comment letters. While the recent changes are commendable, there are also sought-after additions that were not part of the proposed regulations that we believe should be included. One such addback would be capital gains. The New Market Tax Credit Coalition also testified. Their comment letters also available on our website. Their topics included target populations and true debt analysis. If you are interested in participating in these kinds of discussions in the future, I encourage you to consider joining the NMTC Working Group. Details about our activities and membership can be found online at www.nmtcworkinggroup.com. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's report. Please join us again next week when we will discuss the current conditions in LHTC equity investment market and what predictions investors and syndicators are making for the future. We also expect to have continuing updates on proposals being suggested for inclusion in an economic recovery package. This is Michael Novogratik. I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. (music) 